0: Today's episode of The Ride is brought to you by Smart Pack.
1: Welcome back to The Ride. I'm Michaela. And I'm Nicole. And this week's guest on The Ride is Rainer Matt Mills. And if you are a fan of Yellowstone or The Last Cowboy, then you know who Matt Mills is.
0: Yeah, Matt has um, been part of the raining industry for quite some time now. And we get to learn a little bit more about his history and how he got involved with the sport because he is from Southern California. And like me, I'm from the city and so it's it's a little different getting involved with the horses when you come from an urban environment.
1: Yeah, which is totally foreign to me. So learning from both you and Matt has, you know, brought a new light to my eyes that I didn't know about before. So it's really interesting to listen to both you and him kind of chat about your similar backgrounds growing up and, you know, getting into the horse industry. And the cool thing about Matt is he will say it numerous times in the podcast about how much he truly loves the horses and why he got into it because he talks about how much he loves basketball and he wanted to play professional basketball. And here he is as a professional reiner. Yeah. And like you
0: said, um, he was in Yellowstone last year as well as the last cowboy, which was a new reality TV show about the reining industry that was on Paramount network. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit in our previous podcast, But it was also the thing that introduced the run for a million, which we've talked about. So Matt talks a little bit about being part of the first run for a million and what it meant to to kind of bring reigning to center stage. Because I feel like um, especially when it comes to horse sports, the only things that people know outside of the horse industry is the jumping stuff and and anything you might see in the Olympics and then of course the rodeo stuff that you're going to see at the NFR. So it's really exciting that the reining and the cow horse and all that stuff is is starting to kind of get center stage and and Matt was a big part of that so that was huge and um, this year the last cowboy didn't get to air because of coronavirus. A lot of horse shows got canceled. They couldn't have. Film crew traveling all over the country and and filming these horse shows and stuff. So, but it sounds like it's coming back next year, and I really hope it does because last year's season was really good, and I I I totally enjoyed being able to see that sport that I've been a part of for several years now. Um, you know, on
1: cable. Yeah, and you know, kind of jumping into our current events section. Actually, um, Yellowstone was on last night. And at the time of recording this podcast, it was on. And we got to see some cow horses work in the arena. And that's really cool that, you know, not only in The Last Cowboy are we highlighting some different Western events, but in Yellowstone, Taylor Sheridan is doing a phenomenal job just showing pretty much everything performance, horse, industry, Western, you know he's doing it all and I really have to applaud him for what he's doing because it's really cool I mean as a barrel racer yeah there's barrel racers on nearly every television show it seems like and western television show but you know you don't always get to see the reining in the cow horse and people are interested in that I mean those horses make some really cool moves and for somebody, you know, like Jimmy sitting on the fence going, wow, that's cool. Like that's a lot of people in America watching the Paramount Network and Yellowstone.
0: Yeah. And in fact, I was talking to one of my other horse friends and she was saying her, her horse, her husband is a non-horse person. He, he's kind of like my partner where he enjoys them, but he doesn't really partake in the sport, but like he was watching the show and he was like, wow, that's cool. Like I would go watch that. And so, yeah, thank you, Taylor, for introducing people to that sport. It was pretty fun because I, like we've talked about in other episodes, like I'm getting into the cow horse industry slowly, but surely. And I took Alex, my partner to go watch me work cattle on that Sunday. And then we came home that night and watched Yellowstone. And he was like, oh, that's what you're doing. Like, that's what you do. And so it was kind of cool to see that connection.
1: Yeah. And you know, you say you're getting into the cow horse stuff and you actually posted on Facebook and Instagram a couple days ago that you are actually a member now and you are heading out to a horse show in Nebraska this week.
0: Yeah. Officially a member of the NRCHA. I have to give them a little shout out because I think it's so cool that they offer a one year free membership to new members who have never been part of the association before. I think that is such a great way to get new people like myself involved. And, uh, it was, it was just a nice little bonus to getting to go to the show is, is how welcoming they are to new people by doing something like that. But yeah, like you said, I'm going to a horse show this weekend. It's my first time showing in 10 years. So I don't know, I don't have any expectations, but to just go out there and have fun and, and try to, you know, not be as rusty as I probably am, but, um, I am showing in a division, which is for non-pro people, but you are allowed to show other people's horses. Um, which is what I'm doing right now. I have a friend who's letting me borrow one of their horses, so I'm competing in the non-pro, but I am riding somebody else's horse, but it's nice that they offer, Uh, a couple of classes that are intro classes and the person doesn't have to own their horse because I'm in a situation where I just can't afford a show horse. I can afford to go to horse shows occasionally. I just can't afford to pay for a show horse, the maintenance of a show horse and all that other stuff that goes behind the scenes of showing. So I'm super thankful that they offer that.
1: Yeah. You are so lucky to have that opportunity because I mean, You're able to afford to go to the shows, and because I mean, had you put all the money into a horse, it probably would have been a few years before you were able to save up the money and start showing and dealing with the maintenance and everything. So it's really nice that you have that opportunity and you're riding such a cool horse. I mean, I actually went over and met her horse a few times, and he's just such a cool little rock star. Not only is he cool in the cow horse arena, but Nicole has used him for photography and all sorts of things. And they've just turned into the cutest little buddies.
0: Yeah. If you go on our Instagram, horse and riders, Instagram, uh, Michaela shared a photo of that Michaela shot of me doing photos. And I'm actually in the water. Him. I go take him. He, the thing that I love about the cow horse and I come from the all around world, which if you listen to the podcast, you're, you're familiar with that. But the thing that I love about these horses in particular, and it could just be the barn that I'm at. I don't want to speak for the general, you know, consensus of this discipline, but these horses are show horses, but they're also work horses. And so I take him swimming in a lake when I'm not working cattle and pushing them from different pastures or working Buffalo or going to a horse show. Like we do all sorts of stuff with them. And you know, my last all around horse it almost felt like you had to wrap him in, you know, bubble wrap because he would, he couldn't do anything outside of the arena. And again, that's not every all around horse. There are plenty of them that do a lot of stuff. That was just my horses in particular. So I'm, I'm really loving having a show horse that I can go and take like swimming and like just put him in the water and just shoot photos and not have to worry about him doing anything or getting scared or any of that.
1: Yeah, well, it it did take you a little bit of time to get him accustomed to that. But kind of talking about bubble wrap, I think I might start wrapping my horses in bubble wrap because I have now spent a little too much money on vet bills. My horse had to spend some time at CSU and Horsey Hospital, so he might get wrapped in bubble wrap. He came home today, so if you see me out there tonight, I'm probably bubble wrapping my horse.
0: Yeah, poor Risky has um, chronic colic issues, and this week he decided to have a little bit of a different colic issue, which is also not fun, but he is happy and home.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's one that we try to talk on colic a lot with horse and rider colic and ulcers, because those are two super common things in the horse world, so we talk a lot about those. and. I think Risky is going to be a future case study for the multiple types of colic because he had a colic this time that I had never even heard of, didn't know it could happen. But upon sharing him on Facebook, I actually found out a few other people had similar situations. So it's nice to know that there are other horses out there that have had the same types of things. But, you know, even as seasoned horse owners... We can learn new things every single day, and sometimes they are costly things that we are learning.
0: On that note, I, I think it's time that we dive into this Matt Mills interview. I hope you guys enjoy.
1: This episode is brought to you by SmartPack with Colicare. Colic can happen to any horse, so protect yourself and your horse with Colicare. SmartPack's free program that now provides up to $10,000 in colic surgery reimbursement.
0: Colicare combines SmartPack's best hindgut supplements with preventative care from your veterinarian to help lower your horse's risk of digestive upset. Plus, you get the ultimate peace of mind knowing that you have the financial resources to provide the care Your horse deserves, should you ever need it? Michaela, I don't know about you. We just talked about colic earlier, but I've spent a lot of money on colic and I have had colic surgery and I've had some pretty scary colic episodes. So this is huge.
1: Yeah. And we just said that colic was super common and that's why we talk about it so much on horse and rider. So it makes sense to, you know, get with smart pack. So that way you you know, if colic happens, you're not spending $10,000 for surgery.
0: Yeah. This is something I'm just finding out about is the colic care. And I know that I'm going to be signing up because it's a free program. I mean, why, why wouldn't you?
1: Exactly. So if you want to learn more about colic care and the smart pack program, visit smartpack.com care or call 1-800-461-8898 and get started today. So today we have Rainer Matt Mills joining us on the podcast. We hope that you guys are familiar with him and that you have been keeping up with him on social media. I know that his social presence has been pretty awesome, but starting kind of at the beginning of your horse life, Matt, I know that I have followed your professional career, but I really don't know a whole lot about how you got involved with horses and where your horse life first began.
2: You know that's a funny story. It uh, it began in Long Beach, California. So I'm I'm you know I'm from straight from the city, and um, from you know I I didn't really come from a horse family. My my mom had horses as a kid, and uh, and then you know as she got older and got into work and she couldn't have them anymore, and so so she didn't have any for a long time. And she got me some pony rides when I was probably like eight years old or so. That's how I started. And apparently, I lit up when I got on a pony, and then it turned into riding lessons. So I'd go, this, I'm, you know, I'm about nine years old. And this is in the middle of the city. There's one stable. It was called the Lakewood Equestrian Center. It's still there, believe it or not. And I would go there, and it seemed like once a week, and I would ride this pony named Dizzy. I, I still remember that was the very first one I had a lesson on. I think this pony was probably like 30 years old, something like that. And anyway, I started off with just basic riding with uh, a woman named Michelle Bloomquist there in Southern California. And I, and I did that for about 10 years, just taking riding lessons. And then, you know, and then I, I did eventually get a horse. And I, I did trail and Western Pleasure and equitation and um, even you know mess around with a little bit of everything. But, uh, but that's how I started. I, I loved playing basketball as a kid. That, that was probably, I, I probably liked basketball more than horses even, or about the same. But um, yeah, I, I didn't grow up on a ranch. You know, I, I had to catch the the city bus. It took about 45 minutes from my house to the stable. And I, you know, I, I never had a problem. You know, I, I love doing that.
0: You know, I can feel you for that because I'm also from the city. I'm from Chicago suburbs. And yeah, it was an hour drive to the barn. You're in the middle of an urban area. There's no ranch. There's, the, you know, the property that we were on was, subdivisions all around us and then there was just a little slab of a barn and and an outdoor riding arena so it it's a lot different though because the people that you're around don't understand the horses and what you're doing
2: oh for sure but you know when you're in the middle of it you know i was one of those people too that didn't know anything so i'm learning and you know now looking back on it i go you know it's pretty I'm, i'm i'm pretty pretty fortunate that i made it out without getting hurt i did have a great instructor though she she did she she taught me so many good things uh, foundation wise and let me do a lot of things. Cause I was there all the time, but yeah, I mean, we're right on a riverbed there and I remember taking my horses along that riverbed or taking, you know, riding along there. And, um, you know, thinking about it now, like there's no way I would send a beginner rider like out on a riverbed, you know, and I'm talking like, you know, cement riverbed, like in the city, you know, bikers and stuff and joggers and, uh, You know, the the fact that I made it out of it, you know, I think that, that, you know, it's kind of pretty fortunate.
1: Yeah, it's pretty funny some of the things that we do as kids and then look back on and we're like, why in the world were we doing that? I would never let anybody do that. So kind of switching and going forward in your life, you know, you said you love basketball and horses, but when was it that you really decided that horses were the route that you wanted to take and kind of veer into the reigning path?
2: You know, so I'd say pretty early on, like around 12 or 13, I was I was really torn. You know, I kind of, you know, I had it in my mind, I'm going to go to the NBA and, you know, I was a Lakers, still am a Lakers fan, of course, um, which uh, hopefully they win the title this year, by the way, a little side note. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I was torn. I, I, I wanted to play basketball, but I really love horses. And I thought, man, I'm watching the you know my trainer and, and thinking man this is something that that I could do and then I've got my parents of course saying no you've got to go to college and you you know you've got to go do these other things and along the way getting into raining you know I'm going to a lot of these local events you know they're open shows in California I think they were called WIA like Western Horsemen some W-H-E-A but they were they weren't even uh breed events because I you know we didn't have a horse that was good enough and for most of my youth career, I had a breeding stock Appaloosa. But I'd go to these shows, and I'd see the stock horse classes. That's what they called them back then. And those were the horses, you know, that's you know, modern-day reiners. They're running and sliding and spinning. And I just remember thinking first that they didn't have to wear the stupid little outfits that I had to wear. I always thought, you know, they're a little, little girly. <laughs> and so I looked at that, and I thought, these look like cowboys, and they get to go fast. So I was fascinated with that. I'd say probably like mid teens or so. And so I started snooping around and investigating on my own. Uh, you know, now I'm getting to be like 16, 17, kind of getting a mind of my own. And I and I I'm following the California horse trader. And I see raining horse trainer Garth and Brenda Brown are moving from Oregon down to Southern California to Costa Mesa. That's a you know, there was no Rainers at the time. So I'm thinking now here's my chance. So I blew his phone up for I think he advertised like three or four months before he moved. And I called him probably at least once a week just to make sure that they were coming and that I could take lessons. So when he moved down, I was probably just short of 18 and I took my first raining lesson down there with, with Garth. So I drove, you know, again, you know, nothing's close now I'm driving. Oh man. It was probably like 45 minutes and, you know, LA traffic was probably like two hours, though. Uh, I'm driving down to take a lesson on a raining horse. And so I had about, I only had about six months of riding raining horses before I moved to Arizona.
0: Oh, wow. So you, I mean, you kind of knew immediately that that was what you wanted to do with your career then.
2: Well, you know, so I, I was hooked on raining immediately. You know, what I mean, I was like, man, this is really cool. The horses are so well trained and you get to go fast and nobody was, you know, getting after me about my equitation. You know, I could kind of relax a little bit. So I was thinking this was pretty neat. And then it just so happened that you know I had gotten a horse to lease, and you know I had some other friends and stuff doing it. And, and the thing to do was to was to do an internship in Arizona. It was the hot spot then. There was Todd Bergen, John Slack, made, you know rest in peace, Brett Stone, Dale Hendricks, you name it. Everybody was here in Arizona. And anyway, I, I, time timing worked out where a friend of mine, you know, got me an, an internship with Dell Hendricks. I didn't even know who he was. I, I wanted to go to Todd Berg and John Slack. I knew who those guys were. I didn't know who this Dell guy was. So I met him at a show out there. <laughs> Literally one day, a friend goes, "Hey, you should go to this guy's place." Now I think back on it, this is crazy that my parents let me do this. And so I meet Dell, and this is '97. And so I said, "Hey, you know." Uh, you know, can I come to your ranch for the summer? And he's like, sure, but you're going to live with me and I'm not going to pay you anything and you're going to work hard. And I said, yeah, it sounds great. So I headed out in June, the day after I graduated, you know, and it was 100 and whatever, 120 degrees out here. And as soon as I stepped out of the car, you know, at, at Rancho Cerrito is the time Dell worked for him. I, I kind of, that heat hit me and I was like, oh man, what am I doing? And then I walked in the barn, and looked at all the horses and looked at the facility, and I thought, "Well, this is going to be great." So I went from like, you know, I had ten, like I said, I I, I rode as a kid, you know, about ten years of experience with all around stuff, six months of actual reining, um, you know, and I competed a lot, so I wasn't worried about that. But just six months of actual riding, raining horses, and I jump into an internship with uh, a summer internship with Dell Hendricks. And so I got a funny story about that. So I never really driven a stick shift very much as a kid. Grew up in the city. You know, I wasn't driving farm equipment or anything like that. I wasn't into hot rods. I was into riding the city bus. So, Dell he he says, "Hey, do you know? How to, can you drive a truck and trailer?" I said, "Yeah, I can drive a truck and trailer. I've you know I've driven my parents' truck with a two horse bumper pull." And so anyway, I'm like, "Yeah." So he's like, "All right, you're gonna get in the truck tomorrow." He would, you know, he didn't really give you a lot of details, but he never did. And I worked for him almost five years. It was kind of, "Hey, you're gonna get in the truck tomorrow." Like, you know, I'm 18 and I'm used to doing what my dad told me. So it's like, okay. So we jump in the truck to go to the Oklahoma City to the NRHA Derby, and we get—I don't know—we're in the middle of New Mexico somewhere. It's pitch black, and he's tired. He pulls over. He's like, "Hey, okay, it's time for you to drive." Well, he never told me that it was a stick shift you know, we're, we're driving a six horse dually, and I've never driven one before. So, and I was looking the whole time, I was just sweating. I was going, man, I hope he doesn't ask me to drive. And so sure enough, he does. And I had to, you know, I had to let him know, like, uh, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And so anyway, uh, that went over the way it went over. He drove the whole way. Luckily he ended up tying to win the Derby that year. So I go from, again, you know, Graduating high school to I jump in the deep end of the reigning world with a guy I don't know, and he goes out and wins the first major event that I go to. So that's that's how I started off.
1: Wow. Like, what a starry-eyed kid you must have been to just kind of dive headfirst into it like that. But obviously, he was a mentor of yours and kind of helped shape you as a rider. Who else would you credit your riding career to?
2: Well, you know, I mean, as far as like the reining goes, I mean, of course, you know, I have to thank my my childhood trainer, um, you know, Michelle Blomquist and then Dale working for him almost five years that, um, you know, he, he taught me a ton, really good horsemen uh, along the way, you know, you, you pick up so much from everybody that you're around. I've asked questions to, you know, from a ton of people and you pick up some things that you don't want to do. And. You know, you pick up a lot of others that that you use and kind of formulate into your own method of 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 training. You know, training your horses. You know, my my wife Karen, she uh, she's a big part of my program. You know, she's my you know biggest fan and and uh, you know probably most real critic. You know, if I'm kind of thinking something's feeling good, she definitely tells me you know when it's not or vice versa. But I couldn't really put my finger on. I mean, there's been so many people. You know, I mean um, the, you know, the, the great trainers ahead of us, you know, I try to really study, you know, a lot what those guys did and, you know, how they got to where they got to. And and then even looking at, you know, today, just studying, um, where everybody's at and it all comes back to the horse. So that's the, that's the, that's the great equalizer. And that's the one thing that I would say has probably been my biggest teacher teachers are the horses that I've trained.
1: I love that because you don't know how many people we talk to, and it really makes my heart happy that that's the reason they're in it is the horses. They truly love the horses, so I'm so happy to hear that from you. But do you have a kind of going off of that? Do you have a horse that is the most memorable to you?
2: That's a, that's a good question. Which, when I get asked that, I'm like, it's like it's like asking me which one's my favorite kid, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of the way I look at training my horses. You know, I try to treat them as if they were my children, you know, I try to be fair and, you know, if they need whatever they need, they need a, you know, a hand or, you know, they need an arm around them like a hug or they need, you know, they need you to be a little more stern with them, but always fair and always thinking, okay, you know, I love this kid. Just like, you know, I love this horse, but I mean, it'd be easy for me to point out um, early on. There was a mare named Dunnett's Delight when I worked for Dell Hendricks that, I got kind of late. Uh, Another trainer, uh, Patrice St. Onge, and his wife, Veronica, they asked me to ride this mare when I worked for Dell. It was kind of a late deal. And uh, I ended up being second in the limited open futurity that year. Maybe it was intermediate open. It was like 2000. And that kind of was like, because I knew, you know, they told me this mare is not enough to, you know, be on the top end. But if you do your job, she should be competitive. And after that, when I got second that year, I was like, man, maybe I can get this figured out. Um, never was worried about competition, you know, about the, you know, getting nervous or anything like that. But it's such a balance between having the horses ready and being competitive. That'd be the first one. And then the, and then the other one would be Easy Odie Whiz, which that horse kind of jumped in my lap early in my career. And, uh, you know, I won a, won a lot of stuff. Won a gold medal for the at the World Equestrian Games for Team USA that was a huge. Deal. I had my all-time high score 231 and a half on that horse and and he was he was one that was just so good natured. Just really kind of showed me what the power of a a uh, a good-natured or good-minded willing horse what what it can do because I've been on a lot of horses over my career that were more physically gifted, more spark and pizzazz, but that horse just had a yes attitude all the time. And, and he led me eventually into the horse that I won the most money on, which is Wimp's Cool Breeze owned by uh, Mark and Janice Dixon. And that's one that I've had more recent, that Buckskin, Wimpy's Little Step, just really pretty horse. And, and that's another one that he was cut from kind of the same cloth where, you know, he just would go out every time and try so hard. And I still have him in the barn to this day, and I, I still love jumping on and riding him. They're the kind of horses that, like, you kind of get in a rut maybe or – You know, you're kind of feeling like, man, things just aren't going the way I want. Because anybody tells you that doesn't happen, they're lying to you. It happens to everybody. So I kind of call them like my slump busters, those kind of horses. Then you jump on, and it almost seems like no matter what you do, it goes right. And then you can kind of carry that momentum on to your other horses and try to get them to kind of feel and respond the way those those great ones have. I mean, and I've had other horses, but those would be the ones – that would, uh, that would stand out in my mind.
0: I love that you call them slump busters because it's so true. We all have our off days. We all have the days where things aren't going right. And as, as the day progresses and you're riding all these horses, they sense that. So it's nice. You're able to like recalibrate your, your, you know, brain and, and how everything's going with a a really cool horse like that. And I think, uh, the last one that you mentioned was that one made an appearance on the TV shows that you were in, correct?
2: No, so no. so that's another one though. That's tough. Um his name's Trashy Chicks Dig Me. And um that one, that's the one I wrote in Yellowstone on the scene with uh where we're, we're really we're 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 taking Jimmy down in the sliding contest. And that's another one that uh a great show horse that um not only show horse, just a great horse to be around. Just and that's why I brought him up there. I knew he would get off the trailer and he'd be ready to go. And then he was on, uh, I used him on the last Cowboy. He was in a couple episodes there. Uh, he, yeah, he's he's kind of, he's popped up everywhere. And the other one, Stony, the Wimp School Breeze horse, I, I rode him in the shootout at the Run for a Million. So, you know, I just, I, and that one, I felt like with all those, you know, the crowd there and whatnot, I just really, I wanted to show that horse at that event. It's kind of later in his career, but I wanted to take him anyway.
0: Yeah, well, and that was such a, iconic event um before we go into that because we have so many questions about that because you were part of something that I think is so cool and I'm so excited that the rest of the world gets to see the industry that I love and I've grown up loving but um kind of going back to you talking about your training philosophies and the horses that kind of help build you to be the rider you are if you had to sum up your training philosophy into a couple of sentences how would you describe it I know that's probably a very hard question
2: No, you know, well, yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, it can be, but, but I think it ultimately, it, it all boils down to pressure and release, you know, I mean, I hate to, I mean, it really is that simple. And I use that all the time in my, 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 my videos, my tutorials, if, if a person cannot watch you from the fence, you know, from the ground and somewhat figure out what you're doing there's a very, very good chance that neither can your horse. And I I think it really boils down to that. And I have to watch myself all the time, you know, being, you know, a professional and doing this as long as I have. It's real easy. Like, I want to get, you know, I want your head to be here and your foot placement to be here and this, that, and the other. And I've got this really complicated plan of how I'm going to get from A to Z. And we're going to, then we're going to do a U-turn and go this way. And your horse has no clue what's going on. And then what happens is you end up Creating issues, you know, creating problems while trying to get somewhere, and it's your own. So, you, so you spin your wheel. So, I think if you take it back to that, you know, just put no, no have a plan. So, so to summarize what I just said, with pressure release before you do something with your horse, have a plan of how you're going to get there. You know, if you if you can't figure out, if it doesn't make sense, then it's not going to work on your horse. And and the more simple I've kept things the better I've done. And, and I'm going to be the first one to tell you. It doesn't, I, you can say this to your blue in the face. Um, you will still get caught up and getting, you know, and having to back up and making things complicated and your horse doesn't get it. The, the biggest thing is to be aware. That's the other thing I would say is to be aware to stop and kind of evaluate or troubleshoot what's going on. Is it because you're not being clear? Most of the time it is, or, you're asking a horse something that it's physically not capable of doing.
1: That's so eye-opening. Like just listening to you talk about that, I just learned so much. I am not at all a horse trainer, but I ride every single day, and being able to put it in something that simple really resonates with me, and I know that that's just going to go over so well with our audience because they will be able to put that in the simplest of terms. And Speaking of this, so you do some video work, which they can watch and see the simplicity of everything that you're teaching, but you're also doing social media stuff. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, which I think is so awesome because you've even created a hashtag challenge where riders spin their horses bareback and you're just doing all sorts of things. But can you talk about the importance of social media in your business and how you connect with the audience?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, social media now is like, it's everything. I mean, it's it's so awesome how you can reach so many people where, you know, in the past, you'd have to go do expos and clinics to reach, uh, you know, reach the masses. And now you can simply upload a video and thousands and thousands of people are able to watch it. It's so, it's so cool. And, you know, they're not having to pay for that content. Some of the stuff, of course, you know, costs a little bit, but, um, I, I, you know, um, we, we, you know, I, I got into doing that. I love to teach. So, you know, that, that's one thing that I've, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was like, had a burning passion. Like I didn't start off thinking, you know, I really want to be into teaching. I was all about wanting to compete and show, which I do, but I've done some clinics over the years and given lessons. And I just, I just enjoy watching, um, people have some issues with their horse and not only do I like coaching them and and trying to give them ideas to fix it? But my goal is to try to get them to where they use their head to where they can figure things out on their own. So ultimately, so they don't really, you know, they don't need to ask. They kind of can, they kind of have an idea can figure it out. So, you know, like the bareback challenge. So that's all about fun, which that, that's where I think we have to make sure, um, you know, in all disciplines, all industries, I think, everyone needs to always every now and then remember why you got into it. You know, did you get into it? Cause it was a business and those horses have to make it to the show. And then they got to sell for money. No, you didn't get into it for that. You got into it. Cause you just flat out like riding horses. So I think, you know, and now that, you know, you get a little older and you, you know, you kind of do more and you realize, you know, you, you, you win stuff and there's going to always be another show that comes the next year and another horse. Um, like that bareback challenge, is just something to throw out there for people to, and you know, just just go out and enjoy, you know, enjoy your horse. And like our blogs that we do, just kind of letting people in and letting them see the day-to-day stuff that um, I go through, we go through with running our program. And it's, it's not an exact science, you know, nobody's perfect. And you know, the idea, you're always trying to get better. And that's what I'm trying to do is trying to keep it real and just put things out there that people can understand and what I'm really hoping is to kind of, you know, be a platform for the raining horse in particular, you know, for the National Raining Horse Association. I think reining horses are so exceptional. I mean, they can do so many things other than the patterns that we take them into. I mean, you can go, I mean, I've taken them on trail rides, just random stuff gone and done, and, and they're so good. So I'm hoping to create some fans for our sport as well, you know, which we saw, you know, I think there's definitely – um, there's a market. Pe- people like it. They were watching The Last Cowboys. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited about what I do every day. And, you know, the competing is a big part of it. But the teaching is, you know, getting young people in and wanting to ride horses to continue this on because there's so much good that comes from um, this lifestyle that, that I'm fortunate enough to be part of.
0: Well, and as you mentioned before, like you have such a large reach with your social media and I can imagine that during a time like we are in now where COVID-19 has shut down everything. I mean, we're just finally starting to see shows open up, but, um, it, it must've been so great to still be able to connect with all these riders, even though you couldn't put on that clinic or go to that horse show or, you know what I mean?
2: No, you're exactly right. And I've, you know, uh, grateful, humble, you know, I'm real appreciative of so many people reaching out with, um, you know, thanking, thanking us for, for putting some of that stuff out there, there is gave him something to watch. Cause there's no, you know, obviously the movie theater shut and all that, but, um, uh, you know, the, the, the questions about what can I do with my horse, things like that. And it, I had a lot more time, right. Cause there, there wasn't any shows to go to. So I, you know, i would ride my horses for the day and, um, you know, I checked that stuff out every day, but I was even more so able to interact with, um, with, with, with all of my followers and, and just, you know, just just kind of connect with them, like you said, and, and kind of get to know a lot of people. And it's it's amazing how, you know, you kind of, you know, you start, you start getting these relationships and you start seeing these people out at events and stuff. And it's just really neat to see the excitement.
1: Yeah, well, ourselves, we are behind the scenes of our social media and we try to put ourselves out there as much as possible because we know it's so important to connect with the audience. So we totally... Totally get that. But one of the things that you've been doing on your social media is doing a tip of the week that's generally health related. And so that made me curious as to what a, some of your favorite health tips are and how you're able to keep your horses healthy and happy and fit on the road for competition.
2: The horse's health is obviously huge. So, and, and it starts with the feed and, you know, so we feed, we use alfalfa hay cubes, uh, feed Bermuda grass. I use Neutrina Grains. I use their Pro Elite line, also their Safe Choice line. Uh, Equine Omega Complete Oil, the, the, that oil, it, and it's the vitamin E b- version that I give, is something that I think really adds an extra sheen. And then what we do out here is I, I use the, the Smart Pack Smart Combo. And that, that one's got electrolyte, it's got something for the gut in there. Um, and then the other thing, like with Smart Pack, they, um, you know, I'm assuming you guys are familiar with with that company that that does all the supplements and whatnot. But um, they've got a, a program called Colic Care that that horse Tough that uh, I was talking about that was on Yellowstone. We actually had to use it for that for that horse. He had to have colic surgery at the end of last year. And Smart Pack, you know, their their program if you sign up for this Colic Care, they 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 cover you up to seven thousand five hundred dollars and uh, they they paid out for tough. It was so easy. And that's something that they offer for anybody that feeds that supplement. So they've been a big part of my program for quite a while. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I am I'm think it all, every little bit counts and taking care of them. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, your farrier taking care of the, taking care of the shoeing and whatnot. But, you know, I think we did a video on ulcers because ulcers is something That's just something that I've when I go to a show, and it doesn't matter whether it's raining or or any discipline, you can walk through the barn or the arena and you can see a lot of horses that are affected by ulcers, you know, and then you know, especially in the in the practice arena, you know, you'll watch some horses that are just kind of a little irritable and they're maybe not normally like that. And, you know, my first instinct is to man, let's just make sure that, that horse, that horse is not being that way because we haven't, you know we haven't taken care of him, you know, he's, he's, he's telling you something and you're not picking up on it. That's, that's what I, that's, 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 that's the other, the goal with those tips of the week on health is just getting people to start asking themselves questions about their horse. Like instead of jumping, it's so easy to jump to, well, just Johnny just doesn't want to do it today, you know, or he's just being, you know, he's being a jerk. And, uh, you know, we need to, we need to work on it more first that could all be true but first does does a stomach hurt you know does does he have a little you know does 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 he have a tendon that's a little sore or a hock that's a little sore or, you know a back that's a little sore let's eliminate that stuff first because ultimately it does come back you know this is a horse that you know these horses do so much for us we want to really try to try to take as good a care of him as we can and and i what i've found is most people they all they, most people all want to take great care of their horse but they just don't know
0: yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up ulcers um, in particular because I feel like, at least in my experience, that when I was showing all-around horses as a kid and a youth, I don't remember ulcers being such a conversation. But now I feel like I'm talking to so many experts and professionals who are talking about ulcers, and it's just so eye-opening because I look back and some of my show horses who were phenomenal show horses, and I did very well with them, but. I like, I think about how like, oh, they were kind of irritable when we would do this and this and that the show and, and now it's like, oh, they probably had ulcers, but that wasn't really something that we talked about back then.
2: Right. It doesn't make you, you wish you had a time machine. I know. And I talk a lot of people they are like, man, I wish I could go back and apply what I know now to horses I had back then. You know, that's that's one thing you know I wish I could do and you know you don't know what you don't know and then with that being said it's you know it's such a balancing act because then you could you know you can end up being that hypochondriac that's like got the 500 supplements in the in the in the in the feed room and you're giving them something every you know every 30 seconds you know I don't think you want to go down that road either I think just just using some common sense you know think about yourself and what you would you know how you would take care of yourself and that and that's that's how I try to apply you know that, that's how, that's my approach with my horses
0: i love that um kind of going back to what we briefly touched on earlier in the interview you were a part of a tv show called the last cowboy which uh had a an event called the run for a million which happened in las vegas last year uh it was supposed to happen this year obviously coronavirus has changed that plan but it sounds like it'll come back in the future which i'm excited about but can you kind of talk about your experience with the run for a million and how it has changed the reining industry because i feel like it's opened so many eyes to what reining is because whenever i would tell people i do a western sport they'd be like oh do you rodeo or barrel race and people just didn't know what the performance horses did
2: oh you're exactly right i mean it was You know, probably the the best kept secret out there is how good these horses are. Nobody, like you said, there just never was a spotlight on it. And Taylor Sheridan single-handedly has changed the trajectory of of the reigning horse. And not not only reigning horse, in the wake of that is just horses in general. I mean, just, you know, people, and I've got friends that do the English, friends that do all-around roping, uh, cutting. They've all felt the impact of that last cowboy and the run for a million just so many viewers that are looking and you know it's just law of law of average or, you know just statistics right so many people are going to watch and there's going to be somebody that goes man i really yeah i really man that looks neat i'd love to get in that lifestyle which i think you know they it usually starts with the horse and then they go man i you know i would like to get you know where put a cowboy hat on and boots and then next thing you know they pick up the phone you know and then the last cowboy i think the nice thing about that was it kind of, you know, it, it gave you an end to our world and you kind of got a little taste of what we're like. And I think it kind of made people think, you know, go, Hey, you know what, maybe I can approach that guy and talk to him. And like I said, I think, you know, I don't think we can thank Taylor Sheridan enough for, for, for doing that for our industry. And he, you know, he's the, he's the model right there. He started out as a, just a fan, you know, he, uh, he rode roping horses and became a fan of raining, got into it uh, before he started riding. And then, then he you know, then he did. And, and then now he's bought a bunch of nice horses. And, and that was his whole thing from the beginning. He goes, I want everybody to see how great this sport really is.
1: Yeah. And well, I just think that the last cowboy in the run for a million just tie in so nicely together to showcase what exactly the reigning industry is. And so can you talk a little bit more about what it was like being in the reality TV show? <laughs> yeah.
2: It was, it was a lot of work. You know, you had a microphone on you all the time. You know, those guys would come out and they'd have a crew, you know, several days in a row and, and, you know, we'd have microphones on and you'd have to remember you have those mics on because they were recording at all times. And so, you know, you go through your normal day and they would key on some, you know, on some stuff that, you know, I wouldn't make maybe, you know, we wouldn't think was really that big a deal. And they're like, well, that's actually kind of interesting. And it was kind of, uh, you know, those, the, the the film crew didn't know anything about horses. So it actually, it was kind of perfect. You know, they knew about TV shows, of course, but they would ask questions that I think the average Joe would ask. And so then you'd have to think about your answer. And, you know, it was a little, you know, it was a little touchy because, you know, we are all in the same circle and we are competitors though, for sure, but we all have to live with each other. So it's kind of, you know, it's like a little fraternity brotherhood or whatnot where not everybody gets along. I mean, that's just reality, but yet we all kind of, you know, we call it, we're all pulling towards the same cause. So that was a, that was a balancing act there where I thought everybody, you know, did a pretty good job of being, you know, doing, doing what they do and, having a little fun with it to boot, but I could tell you one thing that, which I think came across brilliantly in the show is no matter what happened uh, in the day-to-day stuff, when it came competition time, everybody was, you know, laser focused, all about trying to win. And, you know, of course, Run For A Million made it easy, half a million dollars to the winner. That's, you know, our biggest paying event by far. So um, that, I I thought that was, that was pretty impressive. And I, you know, obviously I was very, very proud to be a part of that, the inaugural, um, the inaugural season.
0: Well, and like you said, we're all in the same circle, but for you, it's even smaller because you're in Scottsdale and like, I, I go to Scottsdale a lot and y'all are right next to each other. So it's a very small circle.
2: Oh yeah. You can't, I mean, everybody knows everybody's business and you know, it definitely, uh, you know, a lot, you know, there, there's a lot of conversations back and forth with stuff on horses and whatnot, and just the competitions out here alone are are so tough. So, yeah, it uh, it was pretty easy, you know, and, and really, it's kind of one of those things you don't really know, and, and that was one thing with the TV show. We had no clue what they were going to use, how they were going to edit it, as the world saw it, as when we saw it, they gave us no um, you know, they, they didn't give us any idea at all of, Hey, we're going to go in this direction. No, you know, they would just start asking you questions and then next thing, you know, you, you know, it was time to watch and you're like, Ooh, yeah, they did get that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So earlier you mentioned being on Yellowstone with one of your horses, which Taylor <laughs> is the producer for both Yellowstone and the last cowboy. So he is just doing super cool things in the Western industry but how exactly did you get involved with Taylor and getting on the show Yellowstone?
2: So Taylor rides with a friend of mine, Tom Ferran, and and I've known Tom for a long time. He's in Southern California. You know, he's, we always, uh, you know, we'd always end up, and I'm a sports fanatic. It doesn't matter. You know, I told you I'm a basketball fan, but I like all sports. I think I probably, if you told me I had to sit in there and, you know, sit next to Stephen A. Smith and run a sports center show, I could, I'm could. i pretty confident I could pull that off. But anyway, Tom and I, we would talk about USC football. I grew up a USC football fan, Trojan fan. And anyway, um, you know, one of these shows or, you know, I can't remember when he's got this guy that's there hanging out and he's cleaning stalls and he's riding a horse. And and it was Taylor and just a really down to earth, cool guy. And he would ask a gazillion questions about training horses, and I'd be, you know, I'd be sitting there talking to Tom, and I'd sit there, and I'd, you know, we'd just talk, and I'd answer his questions, and then I'd see him at a lot of the shows. He'd be coming along with Tom, and helping Tom, uh, you know, uh, you know, cleaning stalls or stuff like that. But he's a non-pro rookie, and he, and he, you know, I remember the horse he had. I was like, man, this guy is trying so hard, and that. It was one horse in particular just did not stop very good. And, man, I had to tip my hat because he was out there trying so hard to get it figured out. And, you know, like I said, I just every show I just got, you know, just uh, whatever, you know, Tom and Taylor and I, we just really, uh, you know, got along well, just kind of clicked. And I had no clue, honestly. I never even asked, like, what do you do or anything like that? And it turns out, you know, he was acting at the time and was on Sons of Anarchy. And some time went by, and I, I was at a Burbank show, and I think I asked Tom, like, hey, where's Taylor at? And he kind of looked at me funny, and he's like, whoa, you know, he just wrote that movie Sicario. And I'm like, what? And that shows you how much I was paying attention. I, I didn't even know at the time that he'd done that. So, sure enough, he had. Well, then, you know, he starts getting some getting some horses now, right? So, now he's got some really nice horses, and we were at the NRBC one year in uh, before the, obviously the first, before the first season of Yellowstone came out and he goes, hey, you know what, I'm going to put you in, I'm going to put you in the TV show. And I was like, yeah, right. Sure you are. And, uh, one thing I figured out quick about Taylor, if he says he's going to do something, he, he does it. And, and he, you know, that's, that's as simple, that's, that's how it went down. He said, I'm going to put you in the show. And that's what he did.
0: Huh. That I had no idea. Um, but hopefully we'll see you in a future episode, maybe next
2: year.
1: Yeah, and well, maybe a future episode of The Last Cowboy too.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, if it, when it happens, that that was the other thing that was, uh, you know, kind of a kick in the gut is I, I had qualified already. There was uh, five of us that were already guaranteed into this year's Run for a Million, so I was, and I was one of those. So I'd already picked my horse. If you guys watched last year, I didn't. I didn't get a horse till the very end. Well, I, I was I was way ahead this time. I already had two picked out that I thought was going to work. And then now, you know, then it got taken away from us. So, yeah, hopefully uh, that's, and Taylor said that will still carry over. So I've got, I've got my spot for, uh, for the second season.
0: Oh, good. Well, and I was, I know as a, a fan, I, show cow horses now but i was so excited to have a cow horse invitational with the run for a million this year i was planning on going just to watch and just enjoy myself because i love that we were he was able to bring in the cow horse and the reining in one event
2: well i tell you what it's coming he's he, he loves the cow horse events got some cow horses and he's an avid cutter himself he's getting you know he's he's moving up the ranks fast so um i you know i I like that he's doing that. I keep telling him, like, man, don't forget about the Rainers, though. Don't forget about. Them. <laughs> but, uh, I know he's having a blast uh, chasing those cattle around, and you know that's a that's an awesome crew. I've got and the guys that he's bringing in, they're all really good friends of mine. It kind of turns out most of my you know friends i my my uh, friends training horses. Most of them are in the cow horse, so, and not that I don't have some in the raining also, but I'm talking like guys that when I first started training that we were. Uh, doing stuff together. Those guys are all in that. So they'll be coming across. So it'll just, it'll just make it that much more exciting.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for all of it and to continue to see what you keep doing in your own personal career and maybe in your television career in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. But before we end this podcast interview, we would like to ask you where our followers can find you on social media and your website.
2: Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And, you know, for those that want to keep track of what I've got going on, my website is mattmillsraining.com. I've got all the current shows that I'm going to, my whole schedule. I've also got my whole library of tutorials. It's, it's getting, it's approaching 300 now from A to Z that are available on the subscription page. Uh, follow me on Instagram, mattmillsraining, and then also on Facebook as well. Um, those, those are in, in, YouTube, can't forget about YouTube. Got my tips of the week are on YouTube. We share them on Facebook as well. The same with the vlog. And if anybody has any questions, even after this podcast, um, you know, send me those comments, the DMS, and you know, I'll do my best to, to try to answer questions or maybe even put some topics out there for, um, you know, for, for people that have some, have some, uh, issues with their horse that they're looking to get worked out.
1: We would once again like to thank our friends at SmartPack for bringing you this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning in to The Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse & Rider Magazine on social
0: media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horse and rider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're
1: listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.